0: first reading is Acts 2 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising god and enjoying the favor of all the people and the lord added to their number daily those who were being saved and the second reading is acts 4:32 to 37 All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that they had any of their own possession any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet.
1: Thanks, O'Leary. Brilliant. Wonderful. Thank you. I like the little blue getting popped off by the youth as the second Bible reading. Well done. Love that. And actually, it's time for the youth to go down now with Narek. Are you going outside? Going outside. Of course, you are. Beautiful day. So if you are in school years 6 to 10, please do join Narek and Hannah um, outside for some fun outside. Now, our speaker today is Sarah Chapman. Uh, Many of you will know who Sarah Chapman is if you've been around in the church for a little while. Sarah's a member here. Um, If you've been here early enough to sample one of the delicious bacon rolls. Um, Sarah often serves on the breakfast bar team and uh, Sarah's part of the staff team here. She's part of uh, JCT which is Junction Community Trust which is a trust that was started back in 2012 when there were riots in Clapham Junction and Sarah's role on that team is involved around policy and uh, communications and uh, we are delighted that Sarah's coming to speak to us today. Uh, She's married to Dan, they've got three children It's the first time Sarah's actually spoken on a Sunday. So, I would love to encourage you to lean in and to put your hands together to give her a very warm welcome to Sarah Chapman.
2: (laughs) Hi. Thanks, everyone. is that in the right place? Um, So, I had a really weird dream last night that I was uh, in church and then suddenly it became a game show and Rajiv became the game show host. <laughs> and then I welcomed me down, and I came down to the front, bright lights, and I hadn't got my notes. So I'm really relieved that none of that is happening today, and I have got my notes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, because I don't love public speaking, but I do love you all, and I do love community, which is what our, we're thinking about today. Um, so last week, Chris brilliantly introduced our series into the book of Acts, looking at the story of the beginnings of the church as we know it, and the kind of what happened next after Jesus died and was raised to life. And in doing so, brought the unstoppable kingdom of heaven from the future into the present, a bit like we were just singing about now. So this week we're gonna look at how the first Christians started creating a countercultural community together that was so noticeably different and so attractive. every day people from all walks of life were being drawn into the community and into the new life with Jesus. It was like a little taste of heaven that they were seeing. And although it was 2,000 years ago, I think there's some similarities between then and now which make these chapters of Acts and the picture of community so interesting and hopefully so relevant to us today. So our story is set in the city of Jerusalem, which was then under Roman occupation and rule. Roman society was a really stratified one where wealth and status and power were key to how people were um, seen and valued. At the top of Roman society with a super wealthy Roman elite followed by the religious leaders of the day like the Pharisees and Sadducees who helped make the Roman Empire function. Then there were the merchants and the traders, the skilled workers and the unskilled workers and now we're beginning to get into the realms of people who were actually the majority whose income didn't cover the cost of everyday essentials. There were day laborers who were paid little and only by the day and had no guarantee of work the next day. They would have understood the line in the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread, because theirs was a day-to-day survival. Then there were debt slaves, even further down, whose every penny earned went to paying off debt that they'd have accrued as a result of being in poverty, having to borrow to pay for essentials, in constant fear of defaulting on their debts and sliding even further down into the society's ladder to be amongst the poorest and the most marginalized of all, the widows and orphans, the prisoners, and people who couldn't work because of disability or mental or physical health problems and who had to beg to survive. One of the biggest problems for anyone not at the top of the social pecking order was that a person's perceived status was not only about their lack of money, it was also about honour. The richest were seen to have the most honour, and the poorest were dishonoured. Jesus so often turned this upside down, didn't he? Choosing to be with the people in this poorest and most marginalised group, lifting them up and defending them from the powerful And in doing so, he often provoked a little bit of outrage from the religious leaders of the day. So I was struck by some of the similarities between their city and society and ours now. Like Wandsworth, is a great place to live. It's also really unequal. There are extremes of wealth and inequality. One in three children are growing up in poverty. There are many differences too, but it's also interesting to me that the groups most at risk of poverty then are also the groups most at risk of hardship and needing to use our food bank now. People on low-paid, insecure, 0 hours contracts, who don't know if they'll have work the next day. People trapped in debt, many of whom have had to borrow money for food and essentials and rent. People who can't work because of disability or ill health, who have to get by on our pretty meager benefit system. And sadly, there are many people we meet each week at the food bank here who feel shame at being in hardship because too often the narratives in our society about rich and poor make them feel that way. So against this backdrop then and now, let's look and see how the first Christians set about creating a new kind of community, a very different one, one that ran counter to the culture around it. It's a community in our readings once described in chapter 2 and again in chapter 4, just in case we missed it the first time. Let's take a look. What, what did it look like? I probably haven't told Ollie that this is our oh, first slide, please. Thanks. So it was a place of welcome. It was open to everyone. In fact, people think that one of the key reasons for Christianity's success in the Roman Empire was its absolute inclusiveness, in contrast to many of the other available religions at the time that you had to be born into or you had to pay your way into. Christianity introduced for the first time the concept that you chose your religion regardless of your wealth and race and class. Everyone was welcome. There was no entry fee. You didn't have to be rich and powerful to get in. Next slide, please. I feel like, who's the guy in COVID? So long ago. It was a place of unity and togetherness. Luke writes in chapter 2, verse 42, that the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Here was a group of people rooted together with one heart and one mind and with a common purpose of loving God and loving people just as Jesus had taught them. Some of them already had a shared history. They'd been with Jesus throughout his ministry Some of them had only just joined. They made time to be present with each other. They met together, learned together, ate together, prayed together, and daily reminded each other of Jesus' love and sacrifice. And there was a thankfulness and an authenticity that marked their relationships with each other and with God. And they didn't just keep this good stuff to themselves. Every day, more people from the city joined them and they enjoyed the favour and goodwill of the wider community. Oh, second point please, Ollie, thanks. It was a place where everyone had equal value. Against the backdrop of this really stratified society, one of the most radical teachings of early Christianity was that faith in Christ became your new deepest identity, while at the same time not erasing your race, your background, your gender. This meant to the shock of Roman society that Christians were all equal with one another, regardless of race, status in society, power, wealth or gender. As Paul would write later in his letter to the church in Galatia. I don't know, see, I can't see that, is it? Am I looking there? That's fine. This is what he wrote, I can read it. Um, All of you are God's children because of your faith in Christ Jesus. And when you were baptized, it was as though you had put on Christ in the same way you put on new clothes. Faith in Christ Jesus is what makes each of you equal with each other, whether you're a Jew or a Greek, a slave or a free person, a man or a woman. And fourthly, from this place of equality, it becomes a place of radical sharing. It wasn't necessarily that everyone sold everything and lived together in a happy community, In other places in the New Testament, it's quite clear that people still owned houses and possessions, so don't get too alarmed. But what was also clear is that all the believers recognized that their material assets were not their own, but God's, and so they were to be shared with anyone who was in need. So they took steps to reduce the material inequality among them. They took responsibility for each other's needs, both within the church community and in the wider community. They made each other's burdens their own. And through this open-hearted, open-handed, radical sharing, remarkably, everyone's needs were met. There were no poor among them. It was a sharing that went beyond generosity. It was about equality and doing justice it's a beautiful thing to see this kind of community written there isn't it but also in action luke the disciple of jesus who wrote acts includes an example of someone putting that theory of god's community into practice in chapter 4 36 where barnabas which incidentally is my husband's middle name which he may not want you to know but there we are you know it now so barnabas said sold, that he sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet, so it could be used to meet the needs of people in the community. It reminded me of the generosity of someone when my husband Dan was working as a debt counselor for Christians Against Poverty, about 20 years ago, and I was at home with our new baby Tom. Cap didn't have a lot of money in those days, and um, as Dan couldn't always be paid on time, we did did agree to that, and we also prayed a lot. We just weren't always paid on time, and it was a bit tricky. But although, we, because we had a small baby, we were at the front of the queue to get paid when Cap did get the money. Now, a businessman up north, where Cap was based, was going to buy a new luxury car. He heard that Cap was in need and decided to buy a mid-range car instead and give the difference, around £20,000, I think, to Cap. It meant Cap's work freeing people from debt could keep going and Dan and others doing the work get paid. His different choice made a big difference to us, and it's really inspired me to try and keep making those kind of choices when we have them since. And I love seeing our community here at St. Marks and being part of it. And I love seeing this love in action here. There is so much love and generosity. A friend of mine, who I first met at the food bank, has generously said, I can share some of her story with you today, an example of the difference today that this kind of community can make. We met a couple of years ago when she just moved to London from a difficult situation elsewhere, and there was a delay in her being given her national insurance number, which meant she couldn't work or access any social security, hence she needed to use our food bank. We provided food and advice, but my friend and her child still had no income at all, and they were living in a small rented room in a stranger's basement. The room was only possible because of an amazing group of Latin American women locally, all of whom were on very low incomes themselves, who baked cakes at the weekends and sold them to raise enough money for my friend's next two weeks of rent. Then some people here at St. Mark's who had a little more money Paid the next month's rent. And then someone else who had quite a lot of money offered to pay the deposit and six months' rent on a flat where my friend and her child could move to and live in peace and safety. My friend was able to start work, but it wasn't always easy, because it was low-paid and precarious. No holiday pay or sick pay. But when we as a food bank with churches across um, Wandsworth ran a real living wage campaign last year, asking candidates at the local elections to commit to becoming a real living wage employer, for count the for Council to become that, my friend powerfully told her story about how difficult it is not to receive a real living wage. And brilliantly, the new administration of of the Council did commit to paying a real living wage for its subcontracted workers like cleaners and care workers who, who so often have had to use our food bank. And my friend, this strong, resilient woman, who trusted god and helped others throughout that time she's now part of our church family today oh, i knew i cried and last month she got a new job with a great charity where she uses her experiences and gifts to help other people empower other women to speak up for fair pay and against injustice and poverty and where she gets holiday sick pay and the real living wage so it's a beautiful thing this church community isn't it but is it always easy i imagine we've got a lot of feelings going on here possibly um and even the early church wasn't all unicorns and sunbeams as if you keep reading acts you will find out and if we're honest we might feel some challenges today so what are some of the things that can get in the way of building this kind of Countercultural church community? What fears or worries or ways of thinking can hold us back personally? Here are some ideas, but let me know what you think sometime, maybe over lunch or the tug of war. Do we sometimes forget that we are equal, and so we prioritize our time and attention towards people who have more status or success or money or wealth than us, rather than people who don't? Can we sometimes fall into the trap of arranging our lives around the pursuit of status and storing up treasures on earth, beyond what we need, forgetting that Jesus said, don't store up treasures on earth. Moths and rust can destroy them, and thieves can break in and steal them. Instead, store up your treasures in heaven. Your heart will always be where your treasure is. Are we sometimes tempted to switch off or turn down our compassion for others in our community who are in need? Do we feel overwhelmed or think someone else will help? Is my neighbour really my responsibility? Do we forget that our material assets are not our own, but God's, and he wants us to share what he's given us? Or we may want community and really believe it's a good thing, but we might feel we just don't have enough time to invest in others in a way that develops true community. Some of us here on low incomes, maybe working more than one job or juggling being sole breadwinner with sole parent or coping with ill health, don't have a lot of choice at the moment. Life feels difficult and actually we could do with a bit of help. And if that is you, please come and find me afterwards or Martin and Emily because we would do our best to help and find help. But for those of us who have got more material privilege and the power to choose that often comes with it, Could we rearrange our lives to create more time for God and people, especially those in need in our community? Might it be a career change or even working a four day week to free up some time to use your gifts to help others? The wonderful thing about following Jesus is that we're free to do things a little bit differently from the world around us. Or finally, in my list, and you might have other thoughts, we can think that sharing of possessions. This sort of radical generosity was just for the early church, not for now. They thought Jesus was re- going to return any minute now so they could afford to be a bit free and easy with their possessions. But this view misses the fact that tackling inequality, inequality defending the rights of the poor and being open-handed with our material possessions wasn't a new idea that appeared in the first century AD and disappeared shortly afterwards. <clears throat> God's call to care for people in poverty and work for justice runs throughout the Bible, like the writing in the middle of a stick of rock. So definitely still for now. So as we're coming to a close, if we want to, how do we get all of this from our heads to our hands? How do we get over these fears and barriers in our minds to take our place in building or continuing to build this kind of community? Thankfully, these verses and acts show us that we are not left to our own devices, to rustle up the power and love and grace that we need. <clears throat> we saw what happened just before each description of this new community. In chapter 2, the Christians had been filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. In chapter 4, they'd been filled again just after they'd been praying together. This is chapter 4, 31. After they had prayed, the meeting took place, shook. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and bravely spoke God's message. And all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy person among them. Isn't that amazing? God offers us the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of his grace so we can live the kind of life he wants us to, Individually, and together. So what can we do today? Firstly, we can just start where we are. We don't have to do everything all at once, but we do have a map, and we do have to travel. It's like the difference between being a student and an apprentice. Often the best way to learn and keep learning is in the doing. So if we haven't already, we might want to join a small group, get to know people here, and share lives together. We might want to sign up for the brilliant Acts 435 emails, which is such a great way to highlight needs in our community, both our family and our wider community, and give money to meet the needs of those individuals in our church and wider. We might want to start giving or give more of some of our time to any of the many things that happen here that help build community and share God's love, like Sunday Teams or Food Bank or Spear, We might want to join others at Focus this summer to spend time together and we might want to pay for someone else to go who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford it. So finally and most importantly, we can ask God to fill us with the grace and his spirit today, right now, to help us understand what he wants us to do and to empower us to do it. His power can help us every day to kind of recalibrate our hearts and minds to be in line with the mindset of Jesus. To overcome the fears and barriers we feel, and to take part in building a beautiful, joyful, generous, welcoming, authentic, and sacrificial community together. Amen.